Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday afternoon, and let me do the parsha. Uh, today, uh, which is Hazinu, coming up after Yom Kippur, uh, and this is being sponsored very uh, generously by uh, Mishpah Stefanski, even though it's not the Tfila podcast, but they heard I don't have anybody, and therefore they stepped up to the plate. I'm still looking for someone to sponsor Haftorah podcast this week. We'll see if that materializes, but I do want to thank the Stefanskis for doing the Parsha. Uh, now... Um, I just want to say, by the way, you know, since the beginning of the year, I get a lot of um, emails all the time, which is fine, and that's just fine. But sometimes people say, you know, you, I just listening to you, and you said this a year ago, or six months ago, or this thing long ago, and what about this? What about that? I don't remember all that stuff. You get it? I have the basic facts in my head, thank God, but I don't remember what my twist and finish was. Maybe I do, but. Maybe I don't. I don't carry it all around, everything I ever said. I don't think anybody does. Uh, truth is, we should actually transcribe it. My team has been telling me to go turn this into a book or something like that, but I'm not the transcribing type. I don't know if anybody out there is good transcribers. You know, contact me. We can we can, we can talk about something. But, you know, I can't recall it all. So if it's something from last week or whatever, fine. But it's from a long time ago. Maybe I'll remember, maybe I won't remember. So it's not a matter that I'm not being nice. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have a life, you know. Now, let me move on. This week we're talking about um, Hazinu, which actually comes out very good to speak before Yom Kippur because the whole Hazinu is the most schmooze, as everybody knows. And I want to call attention to one or two points. Uh, actually, from the Sifri. It's been a while since I looked seriously through... Uh, the Midrashic literature, there were years ago, I used to have a class every Friday night. We did the Medrash every week. Went to the whole Medrash Rabba, and a, a good part of the Mechilta and the Sifra and the Sifri. Not the Sifra, but the, the Sifri. And actually, when it comes to Dvarim, the Sifri is more uh, extensive than the Medrash Rabba on Dvarim, Dvarim Rabba. Uh, that's a scholarly question. You know, there's two versions of Dvarim Rabba. I won't get into that. But uh, anyway, to make a long story short, if you take a look... In uh, this week's parsha, in the uh, the way the Sifri does, and you know it's poetry, of course. So when he says Yarov Kamater Lichi, that we usually translate, my words should descend, you know, like Mater, like like uh, you know uh, rain. So what's going on over here? Moshe Rabbeinu is blasting the Jews before he dies, as he said at the end of last week's parsha, as I mentioned in the last podcast, that he wants it on record that when they go into Israel, they'll screw up and bad things will happen and realize it's because of who they because of their sins. He wanted it out on record beforehand. Right? That's what it is. Sheikh is low, low, one of them. You know, is Hashem the problem? No. The the, the children knows the Jews are the problem. Okay? Dor Ikishub Saltol, you screwed up nation because you always looking to shift the blame on someone else. You know, the, the, the Jews like everybody else is always it's not my fault. Yanko, why did you make in your pants? It wasn't me. Shlemy did it. You know, that kind of thing. So 
Um, there's all kind of, you know, Rashi has his famous thing and all that. Uh, there are all kind of interpretations in the Sifri, which is a Tanaitic Medrash, I want to point out. It predates the Medrash Rabbah. It's more authoritative. And uh, two of them are uh, striking. Uh, one of them is where, uh, who is this? From the word Eglarufa. So Yarav Kamantarliki. That's actually very, very interesting. Because and I saw by the way that the or Samath trying what's his name? The Dimashakum tries to put a spin on it. It's not my cup of tea. But let me say this. Yarav Kamantarliki, Moshe Rabbeinu is really using uh, brilliant language. My words should be Yarov, descend on you, you know, Kamotar. But it also implies Eglarufa. My word should bust you, should break your back, should kill you, Lashon Hariga. In other words, if somebody gives, let me put it this way, the perfect Moshe Shmuz is one in which you take away a kind of high and, and complimentary rhetoric on, rhetoric on the one hand, but also conveys a sharp criticism on the other. So it's well, uh, you know, well delivered. So Yarav Kamatuliki, the words I'm about to tell you in Hazina Moshe Rabbeinu saying according to this Sifri, are going to uh, be uh, like Motor. You know, they'll descend from high. They'll be fancy, but Yarov. But the truth of the matter is, they'll kill you in the sense that you know they'll be very sharp. And if you're honest, you'll recognize that what I'm saying about you is true. Uh, it's just extremely interesting to me, right? Um, and I mean, because you know the Menish puts in a slightly different spin, but that's how I take it. Yarrow uh, from the word Eglarufa. Uh, it's you know that's a talent. I think I saw one Shvadron. I think somebody said to him something like, "How do you always come up with a good vard or something like that?" Or what's your secret of your success? You remember the famous Roshalom Shvadron? And if I remember correctly, yeah, I'm seeing this a long time. He says, "I'll give you a mushal." The guy had to give a kid a medicine. And the kid needed the medicine, but the medicine tastes bad. So the kid closed his mouth. So the guy told a joke, and the kid said, ha, ha, ha. And when he opened his mouth, the guy put the medicine down. You get the word, this Yarov Kamatur Liki. Right? But the other one is even more powerful to me in terms of what it's saying about Moshe Rabbeinu. Davarachi Yarov Kamatur Liki. I'll tell you out loud. The Torah killed me, Moshe says. Now, not literally, but in other words, it Busted my health, and you know it, it. It took a toll. That's the right way to say it. it took a toll on me. So Moshe is presented over here, not and you see this in two different schools in Chazal. There's actually a book on this subject. I won't go into that. Uh, there are different schools in Chazal, which there often are. And one of them is that Hashem just gave Moshe the Torah Shazam like that. Which, of course, makes sense. Moshe was a high madrega. He was the, you know, unique. And precisely the uniqueness of Moshe Rabbeinu lies in the fact that Hashem chose him to be the Kli to get the Torah and deliver it to the others. I get that. That's one way of learning it. The other way of learning it is Moshe was taught, but he plugged away. So in other words, if I can use this, even though it's not exact, when he learned Baba Kam and all that, he had to plug away. And he had his kashas and he had to work them out. And so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, take that across Kolotor Kulo. And it wasn't easy. And so Moshe was a Yarov Kamatar Likhi. The Lekach, the Torah, right, wasn't simply like Matar, but it came down 
tough. Uh, in addition to that, so in other words, Moshe is saying like this, I'm 120 years old. So far, I'm okay. You know, he was old, but physically he was okay, uh, as we know. But nevertheless, uh, I ain't a young man anymore. When it says, lo nos lecho, lo koho, it means for a guy 120 years old, he was in amazing shape. But he wasn't a young man. And I don't know if he had the kachas anymore, all that stuff. The uh, Now, of course, Moshe without the kachas is still better. You know, like the guy said, I can take you with two hands tied behind my back. I get that. But nevertheless, he's complaining over here. And he says, Yarav, come on to the This stuff, Orif busted me. And, I, and, and because in order to acquire a knowledge of the Torah, I basically spent my health. Now, this, of course, is a rabbinic teaching to encourage others to do just that. Because uh, I was Arbim Yom, Arbim Lail, Reisha, Bahar. Uh, and it was psychologically took a toll on me. Moshe Rabbeinu complains of PTSD. He says, Nichnasti, during the Arbim Yom, Arbim Lailo, Nichnasti Leben Hamalochim, I had to go in the area of the angels, Benichnasti Leben Achayas, Benichnasti Leben Hasrafim, Sheechem Yochel of Kol Olam Kul Al Yoshev. So I had to go through dangerous territory. I had to go into the territory of the fire angels, any one of which could have burned me, because they have infinite power to burn. <laughs> right? Nafshi Nosati Oloha. Domi Nosati Oloha. Isn't that amazing? Interesting? I gave my nefesh, I gave my blood. So basically, so I guess I'm a spent person. Now, I spent it in a good cause. You know? I did it to get the Torah and teach the Kleiser. I get that. But don't think it was this. I got nothing. You see, it took a lot out of me. Dominus, uh, I spent blood on it. Therefore, I commission you, Yarf Kamotor Lichi, Yarf from the word harsh, from Hariga, that if you want to learn Lichi, right? So you have to bust yourself. Okay? Uh, but then the Sifri says something very interesting. And remember, the Medrash is like telling you what happened, but it's also including very often social commentary of its own. That's a whole subject by itself. Demar Tzchais, by the way, has a book on that. Uh, and uh, he's, Moshe Rabbein is, therefore, let's put it this way, so far so good. So a guy hears this like a Shiva guy, so, oh, I gotta learn, I gotta, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. You know, I have to do all that if I want to understand it. Fine, that part's good. But what if you're a Rebbe? What if you're teaching others? So do you make it hard for them? Is that the goal? And you say, listen, I'm raising the Marines, one a few good guys. So I'm going to give a very hard class or this, and that, and the other. And, you know, whoever makes it, makes it, sink or swim. And, you know, and listen, I went through plenty of, of Tsar Nagmas Nefesh to acquire knowledge of the Gemara, the guy, the teacher says, so I want these boys to do that. And it's very interesting, the Sifri, which was written 2,000 years ago, time of the Tanoim, says, no, 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 not, not, if you're a Rebbe, if you're a teacher, it's a different goal. <laughs> it's make it as easy. Look at this. Should you say, since I had to go through much challenges and unpleasantness to acquire the Torah, it required a great deal of personal sacrifice. So I want that from the students. Rossi. In other words, Yarov Kamotor Lichi Tizel Katalim Rasi. Tal, of course, is due, which is very fine and nice and gentle. To Roimosa, the Medrash says, 
Kilu Hubizul. Judge it like 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 uh, Tal, which is cheap, of course, doesn't cost money. Echa Mishalsha for Arbasim Besela, it's a very cheap price. Um and the idea is that first of all, you shouldn't charge a lot of money for teaching. Uh and second of all, that's why podcasts are so cheap. And second of all, you shouldn't go and um, make it hard on the student in general. Tisa Katalim Rossi. This is a very interesting educational philosophy, at least as I read it. For you yourself, you plunge in as hard as you can. The way you teach it over, you try to make it as easy as you can. Make it like Talib. Now, if the student will be properly motivated, he or she on their own, once they're motivated and inspired, not all, but those who are, will undertake to plummet deeper. You get it? They'll, they'll you know, go through the eun and so forth beyond what you spoon-feed them, what you teach them. But the uh, the notion that, you know, you have to make a class very hard and, uh, you, as they say, you train people to think and uh, therefore you make it, you know, uh, uh, you know, that only the smartest person can understand it or a cop it or something like that. It doesn't seem the way that they're talking over here because otherwise you'd have nobody who's into learning. Now, I'm not finished. Kisir Mali Desha. And again, what does the Medish, uh, the, uh, yeah, the Sifri say over here? Uh, he says, this is Kisir Mali Desha. Now, Seirim, how do you even translate that? You know, it's a good question. How do you translate that? Now, usually we translate like like uh, showers and young grass. Correct? And Rashi goes into that all day. But, you know, Seirim, Sawyer has a lot of uh, interpretations, including... Uh, demons, does it not? When you undertake learning seriously, then it's like encountering a shade. Meaning you say, oh my God, it's so big, so powerful. It's scary. You tell somebody, buddy, your job is to learn Kol Torah Kula. Whoa, that's scary. And we're talking about a good kid. You understand? Because bad kids, they just forget it. But a good kid will say, wow, but you know, it's like a shaded kiss earring. But you have to go with that kind of um you know attitude and uh, and say, I'm taking this very seriously. Um and I'm prepared to uh battle demons in order to uh, to acquire you know the knowledge of the Torah. What kind of shade of demons are you talking about? It's laziness, it's inertia, it's all the types of things to get in the way of a person mastering a subject, especially mastering uh, a Torah. So you see the Moshe Rabbeinu according to this medrash over here, this is, I repeat, a sifri, is actually, you know, sort of through his fancy poetry, of course, getting across the basic idea in which he's not blasting them. That is true. But in addition to that, you see, how should I put it, the subtext uh, here are extremely interesting because this is what lies in the word seirim, and this is what lies in the word yarov, orif, eglarufa, yarov, kamatar, lichri, and so forth. So it's, it turns into a a li- Moshe Rabbeinu is literally Rabbeinu in the sense Rebbe is a teacher that he leaves the scene giving advice on how to be a good teacher it's, uh, it's actually quite moving because it's like he's thinking of someone else you know what I'm saying I, he should be thinking about himself that's not who he was it was a class act he's thinking of the others and he's looking around and he's seeing the Zikanim and the others and these are the guys who by the time he was dying which is 40 years after the Torah was given 39 years, whatever uh, are the guys who were the elite. In other words, they're the ones who made it to the top in the learning uh, because that's how they became the Sanhedrin. And uh, Moshe is saying like this, he said, you know, 
you guys survived the Darwinian process, but don't impose a Darwinian process on the others. You see? Yeah, Tizal Katalim Rossi. Trying to make it like Tal. I think that's a very remarkable kind of thing. Maybe Moshe looked around and he saw not everybody's A plus student. And yet, and yet, and yet, the Torah is meant for everybody. Okay? Torah see below Moshe Moshe Kehil is Yankov. It's a Moshe for the Kehil is Yankov. Not everybody in the Kehil of Yaakov is the A plus plus. That's just a fact. You understand? So, it's interesting that he's, that, that the Chazal, this is not me talking, I'm just reading what the Medrash says. The Chazal discerning in his final words, these educatory kind of exhortations in which you see Moshe really concerned, you know, what's going to be with the Torah once he's gone, in addition to the general concerns of the Jewish people going off to Derek and all the rest of it. But perhaps, I mean, I don't know, I'm speculating, perhaps he he, he could attribute the fact, I mean, this is a, a good vort, you know, I don't know if it's true, maybe he attributes the fact that Klai's role is going to go off to Derek to the fact that the, that the process of teaching and learning is a lokoi, you know, has problems in it. Uh, because it's always been true in the history of Kali Yisrael that we have a kind of elitist system. I'll say it again, it's always been true. And a lot of people fall by the wayside. And uh, today, in America, we have a, a better system, although it's plenty flawed also. And now because of the art scroll and this and that and the other, and, and, and all these different Dafiyan programs and things they have on YouTube and who knows what, and podcasts, so... People who wouldn't get it on their own, in the you know, because A plus plus learners can get it through other ways. We, we we're living in a time. I'll have to talk about this sometime in one of my talks. But uh, we're living in a time of unprecedented dissemination of the Torah. I think everybody knows that. M- making use of the information technology that's available today, and there's more on the horizon. Which is, everything I'm saying is a good thing. So uh, I use the word nakudos, but I mean, that's a catchword for a lot of things. And, uh, you know, the, the A++ person doesn't have the right to turn their nose down haughtily on the others and say, well, if you can't cut the mustard, get out, you know, because uh, that's not the way it was, it was supposed to be. Tizal katalim rossi. It should be like tal. Now, the main thesis of this parsha, which is the most interesting, I, mean, I shouldn't say that, but in a very interesting part, the main thesis is the prediction that Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu says, and that is that the Jewish people are going to screw up and go after Avodah Zarah. We saw that in the end of last week's parsha. Hashem told Moshe, you know, once you're gone, come and so forth. And Moshe says, So these are the end of parsha Ba'ilach. But why? Okay. That doesn't speak well. I mean, just because the teacher left the room for five minutes, a a good teacher, too, and a beloved teacher, you'd think, just because of that, everybody goes off to derech? Mamish? You know, in other words, let's, get, let's be straight over here. The Jews are going to go for idolatry. You know what I'm saying? So basically, that's what they're headed to. Really? And so quickly after they acquire an heirs, uh, Israel, and the reason Moshe says is... And Hashem, I mean, and, and he, he mentioned it earlier in the book of Dvarim as well. Uh, and this is what's the most negative to us today in America. It's the challenge of economic prosperity. Okay? Well, is Judaism, will success spoil rock hunter? You know? Will Judaism or from Judaism, Torah Judaism, able to withstand um, prosperity? Wealth. Okay? Wealth. 
now I know the story. I mean, what's it from Fiddler and Rube? You know, strike me down, you know, hit me with the wealth. I, I I know all that, but nevertheless, Vayishman Yishun Vayivot. That's in this week's parsha. Vayishman Yishun Vayivot. The clients will get fat, meaning to get prosperous and rich. Vayivot, and they'll kick to go off the derech, right? Now this is a theme in Jewish history. If somebody becomes rich, especially richy rich, can they stay on the derech? Now, I know everybody says, I guess, just send me the money, O Lord, and you'll see. I'll stay from. I get that. But you want to know something? History is interesting. The first generation does stay from because they started out not rich. You see this. The second, third, fourth generation, fifth generation, it's kind of funny. You know, it's kind of funny. You see, uh, it's not so simple uh, because the one who's born a silver spoon in the mouth is not the same guy who put together the money in the first place through his real estate business, through his home improvement business, through, you know, uh, you know, plumbing business, whatever the, whatever the business is that somebody did. The kids don't have to do that. The kids inherited a going concern. And frankly, they're born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Uh, where was it? If you go to Israel, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a trip. I'm, I'm uh, signing up people to go in second week of January on my Israel trip, uh, a Jewish history trip in Israel. Uh, so one of the places I went in the past was the Palmach Museum. These are the guys who weren't from, but they fought like crazy in 47, 48, and they saved Israel. I'll say it again, they weren't from, and most of them got killed, actually. But it's quite a story. And there's a famous poem called Magash HaKesef, some Israeli poet made, in which you say... Because a lot, because the the older generation says to the younger generation in Israel, I remember this is like from the '60s, that you know we really had to fight to put this state together, but you, it's been handed on a silver platter. It's been a magasha kesef. You understand? So that's the expression to say that the first guy worked like a dog to put together the money, but his kids, life was handed to them with bullet cherries on a, on the silver platter. That's just how it goes if you have rich parents. And the grandchildren, for sure. And the question, of course, is... Now, by the way, in Israel, in the, in the museum, in the Palmach Museum, there's some poem, I think from Alterman, you know, who was Ben-Gurion's favorite poem, where, if if I remember correctly. And he said that, uh, you know, Anachno Magasha Kesev, that the Palmach said that they're the Magasha, in other words, they shed the blood, you know what I mean? They made the, the, sacri- the human sacrifice in the battlefield so they are the silver platter upon which the state was presented to the younger generation. There is a certain truth to that. Okay? There is a certain truth. Now, therefore, today, you have a kid, for example, now, becoming bar mitzvah. Uh, it's a whole from world out there. It wasn't that way when I was a kid. And it's a gigantic uh, infrastructure in every area, not only from, but Haredi even, all over the place. And, you know, it's quite remarkable. And, you know, like I say, it wasn't like that once upon a time. And therefore, my kids, for example, didn't have my experience growing up, which you're the only religious guy around, you know, in the neighborhood and that sort of thing. Uh, And the question is, how will that affect, you know, um, their backbone? How will that, will they succumb to Vayishma and Yishma Vayivot? Now, there's a remarkable Sifri over here, uh, which says that the great danger to Judaism is prosperity, 
And this is proved by references to all the cases in the Bible where we're told that people went off the derech. And he says it's always in the context of uh, they got too rich and, and, and they got spoiled and they couldn't handle the money and the wealth. Listen to this. According to how savea they are, you know, how satiated, meaning how, how uh, well to do they are, that's when they rebel. And their psukim and elders in Eov that say that the Dora Mabel was excessively rich and they lived a good life. I remember they said, you know, the pregnancy was one month instead of nine months, something like that. They have all these expressions that life was on a material basis very good, and that's why they screwed and went off the derech. And that's what happened with Migdal Bavel. They were very prosperous, everything was going great, and therefore they came up with the Migdal Bavel, which was the rebellion against Hashem. And then he goes on to say, And you find, when the Jews left Egypt, remember, it says, Mitzrayim. The Jews who left Egypt were former slaves. That is true. Yes, they were, they were former slaves. They were all nouveau riche because they took the spoils of Egypt. So all of them were ungished up with guilt. We don't we don't think that way. And he has a wonderful pasuk to back it up, the Sifri, because he says, what exactly is the story of the golden calf? It says, you know, they made a calf. Okay, so far so good. Or so far so bad. They made a golden calf. And it's a Lashem Mokhar. Okay, so far so good. Or so far so bad. And then it says, Be my eye in those words. The people sat down and had a party, meaning like a big picnic, a big fancy dinner. In other words, they were loaded. They all came out with clay classic, clay zov, and they took out animals, and who knows what they took out. Um, and once they were feasting and all the rest of it, Surrounded by gold and silver, all the rest of it, uh, they got ruined by Akumul Sachek. They got up and they started Mamish having mixed dancing, as they say, you know, literally. And the Gilarash Vichadam Abudazar, according to Chazal. So, what was the problem? According to this Medrash, the problem wasn't that, yes, they come from Egyptian background and they were influenced by the idolatry of Egypt and where they wanted an intermediary to treat them and God and all the rest of all the different explanations that we usually read about when we get to the Parsha of the Egalazov. But according to this, Sifri, uh, they were too well off. They had money to burn. And therefore, when, you, when you're like that, it's hard to resist the eight Sahara. That's the point. That wealth makes it difficult to resist the eight Sahara. Lack of wealth makes it easier. But wealth makes it difficult to resist. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. And you have rich people who are from. But the question is, what's the next generation? What's the next generation? What's the next generation? You, you know, that's where it's coming from. So you mentioned... The um, door ha mabel and the door ha floga, and he mentioned the door ha midbar, right? Because it says, And therefore, in last week's parsha, immediately preceding parsha Hazinu, the end of Hashem says, I see what's going to happen. You're going to come into Canaan. You're going to take over the country. And as Moshe Rabbeinu said earlier, uh, you know, you're going to take over going concerns. As we, to use modern terminology, you're going to come in and take over existing bank accounts. Because the people at the bank accounts will be killed. So 
they all, you're going to land in bank accounts. Okay. Uh, so therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu was telling the Jewish people here, So in this week's parsha, when he says, it had not happened yet. And they're getting a fair warning. And Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them, I see what's going to happen. So you might say, Okay, so if they know beforehand what's going to happen, then they can head it off. No, he's telling you Matthias. Matthias says if you've got a lot of wealth, you're going to go off to Derek. Right? Talking in general terms, not everybody, you know, but Claw uh, Israel in general did that. And the Jewish people have not done so well with great prosperity. Let's put it that way. Uh, you know, let's put it this way the modern era is replete with this. That you know, the older generation was in Europe, and they were more from, and this night came to America, came here, came there, and over and over again, you know, they started to prosper, they got very materialistic, and next thing you know, they're gone, you see? Now, here's the point. This is not just a history lesson, but the Sifri, and he also says, by the way, that's the story of Eob. Now, and Aseris HaShotim, by the way, it's a very rhetorical piece. But the point I wanted to share was like this. So far, that's just interesting, cats. You're telling me about stories in the Bible, which is true, and even post-Bible, perhaps, which is true. But how do you know it's applying today? I mean, the year Tav Shin Pei Gimel. How do you know it's applying today? And the message goes on to say, so, what is he saying? This is how it's going to be in the modern times as well. In other words, this is a cycle. It's not just an interesting coincidence that happened many times in the biblical era, but he's saying it's built into our DNA, so to speak, as a nation, our national DNA, that whenever we're going to have Michael and Mishnah Bashalva, which is another word for great wealth, you know, and you're holding by, uh, you know, the fanciest wines and the and the, the fanciest ribs and all the rest of it. So there's going to be a merida. You understand? There's going to be a merida. It's going to be rebellion against Hashem. So it's remarkable that Chazal here are foreseeing thousands of years down the future. Not that we know exactly when Mashiach is coming, but thousands of years down the future, and they're saying. That before the Mashiach comes, things are going to hit rock bottom. Uh, we're told in last week's parsha, maybe when they hit rock bottom, the Jews will start to rebound. Maybe yes, maybe no. It's hard to you know know all that for sure exactly. Farshim are are, dis, are disputing that. But here's a by the way, this is a medrash from the Tanoim. So this is very authoritative. Uh, but in the time of Mashiach, there'll be a downturn among Klal Yisrael before there's an upturn, and There'll be World War III and all this other stuff. What will induce the Jewish people to go off the derech? Will it be a Hitler? Will it be a, uh, you know, a persecution of some kind or another? Or you'll say like this, there'll be a powerful Western culture that will draw the Jews into its clutches, blah, blah, blah. Not according to this matters. He's saying Jews will move to America, and this generation, that generation, they'll start to make serious money. And like I said before, in the real estate, in the, in, in, in the housing, and the home improvements, and, uh, you know, online uh, commerce, and a hundred other ways. And once you have all this money, uh, then it's going to be a trick 
to keep you or at least your children, you know, without being morayed. Uh, that's, I think, very uh, strong food for thought. And this is in the Haftorah that we, uh, I mean, in the Parsha of the week, that we happen to come across every year when we come this time of the year of the Aseris Meitshuva. You know, sometimes the week before, week after, but it's always in the time of Aseris Meitshuva. Perhaps uh, it's because of its eternal relevance, which I think is just something very interesting. Uh, anyway, I wanted to share that. You can take a look at yourself. It's on the Pesach of Yishma and Yishma I didn't even bother to look at the Malbim. You know, the Malbim gives you a, a pirish on the uh, a, a Sifri. So those of you who want to look for a Dvar Torah Friday night, something like that, you find this uh, met, uh, this uh, Sifri. You know, the Malbim is on the Sifri, right? And you'll see how the Malbim explains it. Or others. But I'm just saying, I don't think you need it. I think the Pashup Shot speaks by itself very powerfully. At least, Kach nearly. With that... I wish you a good day once again. I want to thank Mishpach Stefanski for being uh, generous enough to uh, sponsor this uh, Parsha podcast in addition to the Tefillah one. And as I said before, I hope somebody will be listening and will undertake to cover the um, Haftarah podcast for this week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.